everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 124. I got nothing. Recorded December 15th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that is not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. We have no topic this week, and I couldn't come up with a clever title, so that's what you got. I got nothing. Hey, it works. It works. <laughs> I got nothing is a great title, so that's a great title. <laughs> and my co-host, whom you've already heard from in the order of their appearance, as they sometimes do mm. in movies, was first the great one, the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone, and welcome from the dopey land of me. <laughs> <laughs> Dopier than usual. Uh, and, oh, and, uh, beyond. We'll get to that later. <laughs> and alongside him, as usual, the uh, the gooey goodness that is Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome to all the wonderful Element OPIs who have tuned in for yet another trek into Randomville. And I am Mark, the as of yet to be named host of the show, uh, the mayor of Randomville. Mayor of Randomville. Uh, my I tell you what, I still like saying the pseudo random topic generator, but again, that's just <laughs> too long for a real nickname. My, Maestro of the madness was a good one, except as Seth pointed out, it's mom, and uh, I don't want to be your mom, Seth. With all due respect, yeah, I, I love your mom dearly. I just don't want to be your mom. Yeah, I wouldn't want you I don't to want be you my mom. That would be weird in parties. <laughs> it would be weird in many, many ways. I mean, if we 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 could start a long list of ways that would be weird. Hey, you know what's yes. weird? Moving from one phone OS to another, one phone type to another, and I haven't talked about it on the show. I've mentioned it a couple of times that I got a new phone, the, the Nexus 5, and I, and I haven't really said anything because I wanted to live with it for a while. Uh, and I have the you know the new flagship KitKat uh, version of Android, right? And I just wanted to give a, give me a break, Mark. Yeah, break me off a piece. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to uh, give a couple of quick uh, impressions of KitKat. Um, not a review or anything, but impressions. Um, ah, crap. So so here's one of the things about Google. Now, <laughs> what a great about, impression about KitKat is it's got Google now built right in. And if you swipe yep. well, uh, right from the, the main home screen, it pulls up Google Now. And if you put something like, oh, say, a sports team in there, Google Now will feed you all kinds of cards about your sports team. And if you happen to be DVRing a game that, say, is going on at the same time you're recording, and you happen to swipe to the right and see the final score of that game, it's not such a good thing. Oh, crap. Uh, So, you know, Google now is all about providing you the information you want before you realize you want it. And on this this occasion, they did a good thing, but it turned out to be a bad thing. On the other hand, I can now delete that four hours on my DVR since I totally know how it ended. (laughs) <laughs> uh but anyway just a, a few notes about kitkat they they they've really there's this move now i it, honestly i think it started with windows 8 uh and apple followed suit and android too uh, into the flattening of the ui uh less transparency less rounded corners less drop shadows um i'm sure it's performance related too. all that stuff you know takes up tons of gpu uh so they they flatten the ui they change the app drawer style it's it, you know little cosmetic things like that but one of the things that that bothered me most about it is some of the things they have taken out of kitkat um for example uh app permissions 
Uh, I used to have uh, a program called LBE Privacy Guard uh, where I could say on an app-by-app basis, um, you can have access to my Wi-Fi. You cannot have access to my mobile data. You cannot have access to my uh, contact list. You can't have access to my GPS. All those permissions and more were were grand- granular. Now, Android before never had a, a way to do that from the OS, but it allowed uh, apps to do it. Well, the with right. KitKat... I think 4.2, 4.1, somewhere along there, they come up with something called App Ops, which surfaced all those things in, in the operating system, which is cool. Now I don't, because they actually broke those APIs. LBE Privacy Guard and things like it don't work anymore because um, they broke those APIs, but they put it right there in the in the home OS. So that, that's awesome. The last week they got an update that said that took that out. Google's thing was, oops, that was never supposed to be visible anyway. So now you actually have fewer permissions or fewer control over your permissions than you've ever had before. And I'm sure the reason for that is Google's an advertising company, and the first thing people do when they download Angry Birds is turn off in its internet access so it can't serve you ads. Um, yep. And so they got pressure from the from the app manufacturers about that. But still, I think it's kind of a crappy thing to do. Um, and as bullish as I am on Google and on Android, that's one of the things that really ticked me off. And also... They disabled Flash. Now, we, we talked a lot about a while back where they dropped official support for Flash, mobile Flash. But this time, with KitKat, they went even farther and removed the API calls from the OS. Flash now cannot run on KitKat. Not It's not supported. It's broken by design. So mm. those are a couple things that I'm a little miffed about about KitKat, and I just thought I would mention them on the show because we have such a, a, a great brain trust out there. Maybe you guys will have some other solutions. Now, I know there is a guy who's come up with a hacked version of Flash and a hacked version of Dolphin uh, that supposedly works. I tried it. It didn't work. But I don't want to have to go through all that. I should be able to pick my browser of choice and and make Flash work. But Google have decided in their infinite wisdom, nah, you don't need that. And I'm a little miffed with it. But honestly, how much do you but, use Flash in, on your phone? Well, for example, if I want to watch the live stream of this show, I'm going to need Flash to do that. Oh, okay. Um, the, it doesn't happen the often. The Justin TV apps, yeah. Right. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen that I you know, want to use Flash, need to use Flash, go to a site uh, that is Flash-specific, and they've just decided, meh, no Flash for you. And hmm. you know, and that's just—it's not their call. Um, Adobe stopped supporting it. Okay, that's Adobe's call. That's their right. They can do that. And and Google is heavy into HTML5, and that's fine. But still, something like seventy-five percent of the of the sites on the web still re- rely on Flash, either in part or uh, heavily. And so to right. to just throw that out—that was always one of my big gripes about iOS—is. Uh, you know, and in fact, Google um, ran ads against it, saying you get the full web on Android. And then they quietly yeah. said, um, "It turns out, no, we don't want you to have the full web." That is correct. Huh. Well, that makes things a little crankier, and you know, on all of our thoughts, then because I don't know about you guys, but I use Flash a lot as well on my I didn't realize I haven't really been on the tablet lately so I haven't really noticed that I didn't have flash. Well, if if you've yeah. got KitKat on your brand new Nexus, then you don't have flash anymore. 
Yeah. But, you know, it's okay, Mark, because Google is out there to do no evil. That's first mm-hmm. and foremost their corporate motto. So, obviously, we don't need Flash. And um, we've progressed to a point to where we're no longer bound by that crutch of legacy technology. Well, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to call it evil, but one of the reasons I am have been so bullish on Android for so long is that it's the most open, and they're starting to close off that openness. And yeah. so and so this was in the source code, right? So the guys who do, like, uh, CyanogenMod and, and those guys, they're not going to have to go back and, and rebuild that stuff that Google broke in their packages. Uh, and they can do it, of course, because it's open source, and I have no doubt that they will, there will be a solution for both of these issues, for Flash and for uh, app permissions. But it's frustrating to me that that Google have sort of gone down the Apple route of we know what's best for you. On the other hand, yeah. you know, well, I started to say if they want to get uh, mindshare and market share, but they're crushing Apple on every in every metric um, in, from revenue to sales, everything other than, uh, you know. Except profit margin. Yeah, pure profit Apple's margin. has got them beat. Profit margin. Uh, but they're not hurting. Android is generating tons of sales uh, for manufacturers. And, you know, Google is now, you know, through their partnership or purchasing, rather, of Motorola, they're benefit from it, too. I mean, I bought this Nexus 5 from Google. Um, yeah. And it's just, it frustrates me. And I just thought I'd say that. Now, Chris, I'll you know, let I you wonder- whine about something for a while. Well, I was going to say something else that, you know, I wonder if it's a play to disable Amazon's Video Now store. Because without Flash, you can't use Amazon's um, Prime viewing for videos. You are now forced to use either YouTube or the Google Play Store for their video content. Yeah, that could that that's entirely possible, and it may because be- I know I was going to say I know Amazon's video, you know Prime videos or any of their videos on Amazon's site that are on that you can stream. They're Flash-based, so maybe it's a play to force everyone into their Play Store for videos. I think it's probably hmm. less sinister that and more um, nobody's going to go to HTML5 as long as they can still go to Flash. So we're going to take hmm. the hit and kill Flash in favor of HTML5. That I, I, that was that That's what I would guess is their motivation for that. Um you know, yeah, most, that sounds a little more right. Ninety percent of their audience won't care. The ten percent who do care have the technical ability to go around it, and so I, I guess yeah. that's probably what they're thinking. Well, there you go. Hmm. So, Food for uh, thought. Explain to me why you're dopier than usual tonight, Chris. <laughs> well, I, to say it simply is pain pills. The reason for said pain pills is my third stint of having my knee dislocated. Lots of fun there, guys. Let me tell you. Um, that happened on Thursday. I was walking to my car and I uh, happened to hit a patch of ice and then uh, slip, tried to plant my foot so I didn't fall on my face, and then dislocated my knee again. So isn't that, like isn't I said, that why you have the nickname you have in the chat room? Because you slip a lot? Uh, actually, that was the reason for the name, honestly. Yeah. Um, it was slip, but it wasn't me that was doing the slipping that the name was based off of. So, yeah, it's kind of funny that the name is now pointed at me now instead of <laughs> the original person I was making fun of. 
So yeah. Yeah. Um, you, I was just going to say, Chris, you might want to try to not fall so much. Um, might go better for you if you were able to keep your balance more. Just a thought. Maybe, maybe, you know, just a little bit. But you know, I did, I, I didn't technically fall when I dislocated my knee. I fell because I dislocated my knee. So, meh, I don't know. Yeah, it's like when, when, when people say my grandmother fell and broke her hip. Generally, what they actually mean is her hip broke and then she fell. Um, and so, yeah. you know, you have a bad knee. They need to just, wire that sucker up just put some some bailing <laughs> wire in there and you'll be good <laughs> something well this, that's the thing that's so weird is that every time i've gone and get it looked at they tell me there's nothing wrong with it maybe it's time to see it, a different doctor there is more than one doctor in montana isn't there that was the third doctor all three of them have told me the same thing and it's, did they all go I to the same medical school know. maybe um maybe, are you sure they're know. real doctors that's <laughs> i don't know you know, and the last one I went to was a the sports medicine doctor that a friend of mine who does Taekwondo as well had both of her knees replaced with. And uh, so I figured I'd be in good hands and yet still being told there's nothing technically wrong with my knee. And yet I'm now on my third dislocation. On the plus side, on the plus side, there at least there's a plus side, um, the, the healing... The, the time it's taken for me to get off of the isolation cr- uh, brace and into a walking brace with only a single crutch has now shortened to only 72 hours instead of three months. Well, good. You're getting better at being broken. That's that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Maybe so, eventually yeah, I won't have to worry your, about uh, it. You're healing factor, so we can call you Wolverine now. <laughs> I think I need to heal a little faster for the Wolverine status. So, you know, it's it's almost like you're living your life in a sequel. Uh, yeah, sorry, that transition doesn't really work, but <laughs> you know, But no, I went and saw Thor 2. And, you know, okay, in the first movie, Freya, Odin's wife, she's this damsel in distress who can't even hold a sword, you know, because she's she's in the chamber with Odin and the frost giants burst in and she tries to hold the sword. Wait, 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 looks- wait, 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 wait. Spoilers. What? Spoiler. No, I, mean, I can no, tell the way you're going. There's a spoiler coming. No, here. no, it's a it's just a minor. I promise you it's not a spoiler. OK. Okay, because in the first movie, and then, you know, the frost giant comes in and just basically glares at her as she fumbles the sword and falls off to the side. And she's this helpless little person that looks, you know, basically is warrior-esque as my mom. But in the second movie, there is, she's in an inner chamber. So we'll get him back here in just a minute, I'm sure. But while he's, while he's gone, let me share my own rant of the ultimate example of changing the rules in a sequel. And that is Highlander. Okay. Have you seen those, Chris? Oh, yes. Yes. Highlander 2 was not even in the same universe back, nope. as the okay. original Highlander. The, the Other than the fact that they use the same character names and they come back from the dead, that's it. They changed everything about that movie. Everything. They, oh, yeah. They weren't immortal beings who didn't know where they came from, whose past was shrouded in history. No, now they're uh, rebel people from another planet, and they've known each other all along. And it, and mm-hmm. it was just, and now 
instead of him receiving the the final prize and being able to grow old and die and knowing everything and having ultimate wisdom, he's just a dude who ran out of people to kill. But then the first time somebody comes back for him to kill, he's right back starting all over again. Yeah, that's changing the rules right there. Oh, plain and simple, that's changing the rules. That's that's uh, pushing marketing there. I would say. Uh, I don't know. You know, so I think that this happens sometimes. There are movies that uh, are written for you know to be a movie, and they can't get them sold. And then they decide we'll make it a sequel to a popular movie, and then they can get it sold. Yeah. Um, or they they bastardize a movie for a TV show. And randomly throw people in as Highlanders, yeah, just because. Like, uh, what was that movie? Uh, uh, Highlander, Die, Die Hard Three. <laughs> Die Hard Three was oh uh, right was a movie that I, I read this. It it was a movie all its own. It was called Simon Says, and they, they couldn't get it sold anywhere. And so then somebody said, "You know what? Simon was a character briefly mentioned in one of the Die Hard movies." If we stick John McLean in this one, bam, we've got a a, a a hit movie. And they were right. It worked. But it was never intended to be a diehard movie. It was never intended to be a John McLean movie. They just stuck right. it in there because it would work. And, you know, there's sometimes that works and there's a lot of times it just doesn't. Yeah, most of the time. Most of the time, sequels aren't worth the, worth the, you know. And then you get a movie like Toy Story 2, which was superior to Toy Story. Every now and then you, you do have a sequel that that is just better. Oh Well, and then they Toy Story 3 it, and then it kind of <sighs> goes in the toilet a little bit. Oh, I love Toy Story 3. I really did. I, oh, well, I thought, I, I thought it followed the storyline well, but I didn't think it was on the same level as the original and the second one. Yeah, okay. I, I will allow you that opinion, though I disagree with it. <laughs> I'm, not well, going, I, got, I'm not going to force you to agree with me. I would, not, I would never do that. Oh, yeah, you but would. I, Trust me, I have that no, power. I can no. do that. It, really? I, no. <laughs> there are no. five lights. There are five what? Star Trek reference. <laughs> You're not a true oh. geek if you didn't get that reference. No, it's just off the cuff like that I didn't catch it. <laughs> Remember, I'm dopey, darn it. Yes, Leave okay. me alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I don't know if we're going to get Seth back, but we'll we'll pick up what he had uh, a little uh, when he gets back. We'll we'll continue that uh, line of thinking. But there was one other thing that I, I it was a question that I wanted to pose to you guys and to the audience. When it comes to Christmas gifts, is it better to know or not to know? See, I have uh, my wife says that you know it's is an evil streak in me, uh, but really I just call it paying attention. I have not been surprised about a Christmas or birthday gift in the 19 years we've been together. We we've been we spent 20 Christmases together. 19 uh, uh, and the 20th will is this year as uh, 19 as husband and wife once dating, and she's never been able to surprise me. And the reason is, she tells me what she's going to get me, but she may tell me like in June, and she expects me to forget. I don't forget. Or she'll ask me, you know, uh, or she'll say, hey, what do you think about this? And, and if you're just paying attention, you know, so I, I, I did that last uh, last Friday night. We, we went out on a uh, – we had our 19th wedding anniversary this week, uh, and we went out uh, on Friday night to, to celebrate it. And on the way um, – uh, on the trip, 
I'm, 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 yeah, okay, I'll just go ahead and, and spill the whole beans there. She, she got me a sausage grinder because I've been talking about making my own sausages. Right. Um, and it, and so I asked her, uh, as we were driving, did you remember to get me, um, so, some sausage casings to go with my sausage grinder? And she got so mad at me. Like, <laughs> how dare you know what I got you for Christmas? But the thing is, she, she told me, like in August, I've been considering getting you this for Christmas. I know you'd be interested in it. And I just remembered that. And so, the, but mm-hmm. the question is, you know, is it better to know or not to know? I, I rob myself of the joy of opening a present on Christmas morning and not knowing what it is. That, that hasn't happened to me ever. I mean, not since I was a kid. So, yes, there is some joy that is robbed from that. But there's also so much more dark glee in knowing and and trying to trying to um, trick them into telling me and or trying to reveal to them in subtle ways that I actually know what it is and see how they react because they can really make somebody twist in the wind like that um, yeah. and so I, I admit it's a dark pleasure but it it's it's a pleasure and I think it may be more pleasurable than not knowing on Christmas Day so I wanted to ask you guys what do you think is it better to know or not to know. Uh, that's a good question. Um, and since I don't know if Seth is back 100% yet, I'll go first. Um, I would say, oh, God, that, that's such a tough one. Um, I always find glee when I can guess my present oh, and, and steal that thunder away from my <laughs> wife or my kids. Uh, but I don't actively try to figure it out, um, except for this year, because my wife is devious like I am. And so, like... She'll figure out what she's going to get me way in advance and then feed me red herrings for like six months and then have her friend buy the gift. So it's not even on our, on any of our statements or records of where the purchases were done. And then when she does surprise me, then it's the whole ha 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 moment. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so she takes immense steps to surprise me and I love it for, I love her for it. But then she comes across and then teases me last like last night. And mind you, I'm still on pain meds from, like I said earlier, for my knee. And so she's poking me saying, ha ha, I know what you're getting for Christmas. And so does everyone else that, that we know. And he give me, and she gave me a bunch of clues. And of course, because now, I'm in She probably told you and you're just so hopped up on your pain meds. You don't remember. So <laughs> that's possible. She's like, ha ha, you forgot. The only thing I remember is the clues. And until she said the final clue, I was thinking motorcycle because it was, it's too cold to use it now, right? It has wheels. It's black and shiny. She got you a grill. That's what I thought so too, but it's never too cold for me to grill. Okay. So, <laughs> and she knows that because I've grilled in sub zero weather. But then, so then, is, and then I go, is, well, it's, it's a motorcycle. It's an early she fall. She says it's got two wheels. Yeah. What? It, Sub-zero weather is early in the fall for you, right? Well, sometimes. <laughs> like late, late Depends August, if the wind's early blowing. September. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but but then she stumps me with the last one and says, well, there's no motor. Skateboard. No. Bicycle. I said bicycle, and she said no. But, you know, there's awesome, <laughs> uh, you know, it. Joe in the chat room says it's a basketball hoop. Yeah, that's it. Of course, I think if it's a basketball hoop, she would probably not get it because it would 
then run risk again. of me dislocating my knee again. Although you could you know, be, you know, like a strength building thing for you. There you go. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's maybe it's a workout system. There you go. All right. So speak and speak of the devil. She did call just now. Um, I don't know if you guys can hear the phone in the background, but yeah, it it just rang and her number is on the caller ID. So, uh, Seth, what do you think? Is it better to know or not to know? Well, first of all, Mark, I want to say that I was not going to give a spoiler. You had no reason to cut me off. (laughs) Uh, But no, I, uh, I enjoy not knowing because giving gifts is a big deal for me. It's something I really, really enjoy doing and I enjoy giving them uh, and I enjoy their look when they receive them. So, and I like it whenever somebody gives me a gift and I don't know what it is. So I'm a simple guy with simple pleasures. You see what, here's what I do. My, my wife, I can say this on the air openly 10 days before Christmas, I'm getting her a blender for Christmas. Why? She asked for a blender. She told me, I want a blender for Christmas. And I said, which one? She said, that ninja with the multi-blades. And I said, okay. So that was our conversation. So I'm getting her a blender. There's no surprise there. But that's not the only thing I'm getting her. So that's that's the way I like to do it. You know, there's the the thing that we know we're going to get, but there's something else. So I've gotten her actually two other things, one of which... She she could probably guess if she tried because we've hinted about it and we've talked about it and it's something that I've mentioned uh, several times over the last few months. She'd probably be able to figure that out. But there's another one, totally out of left field. She's not going to expect it. There's no way she could possibly know about it. I bought it in August um, and have been hiding it off-site, not at the house. Um, <laughs> I had it shipped to a friend's house. Um, so there's no way. And so that's totally going to surprise her. So I like to have a combination of the two. Here's the thing that, that you want. I know I'm going to win one because you asked for this and then (laughs) the extra, um, you know, extravagance. And I can honestly say, Mark, those ninjas, which one did you get? The, the super deluxe? Yeah, um, I got the, the thousand watt pro model. Okay. So the, the super duper, uh, what do they call that? The industrial version yeah i don't remember yeah the my wife got it got one last year for my little brother and it came with blades and beaters and and just but you could make a cookies with it is what yeah, she okay. said i didn't it, get her that one because we've already got okay. a food processor and a, a big kitchen aid mixer so i just got her the one that's just a blender okay so my wife got the big monster one last year and she's probably used she because she already has a kitchen aid but she's probably used the blender more than the KitchenAid, and she's one of those baking fools. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she uses the blender more than she uses her KitchenAid. Which, if she, if your wife is looking for a blender, if if she can break it, I'll be impressed because my wife, who breaks everything when it comes to kitchen products, hasn't been able to break this kit, the this Ninja yet. So we our blender went out after like twenty years, um, and it was a good blender. It was a you know just a hamilton beach i think pretty generic blender but it was fine so i went and bought what i thought was a pretty good one um it was like an 80 dollar oster blender with the with the borosilicate glass um top mm-hmm. and you know i was i was pretty proud of that one three days after because she's she's a big into smoothies she has a smoothie like four or five days a week like three days okay. after i bought this thing 
she was whining about it. It just doesn't work. It doesn't crush off the ice. Stuff floats on the top, and the bottom stuff is is mixed, but the stuff on the top isn't. And um, so I was like, oh, fine. This year, we're going to go all out. We're going to get the big Mondo expensive blender, and I better not hear another complaint about blenders <laughs> from this point on. This blender has a has sucks down more voltage or wattage than my microwave does. <laughs> Well, we'll see. You'll have to let us know what she thinks of it because I know my wife loves her ninja, and if uh, if I would let her, I'm sure she would make even more stuff out of it. But there's some things that just isn't supposed to be pureed. <laughs> Will it blend? I'm going to put an iPhone in there and see what happens. All right, Seth. So tell us about Freya and the uh, the Frost Monster. Well, okay. You know, anyway, that was the first movie. And in the second movie, they break in to the inner chamber where she is. And she picks up a sword. And she's like this whirling dervish ninja Viking destroyer <laughs> that just goes through and just starts killing anything and everything with a blade. And I'm just like, and that, honestly, that one scene ruined the movie for me. Is it integral to the plot? No, it's not a spoiler. But that one scene where she went from being this, uh, you know, damsel in distress to this, you know, female. Well, you know, I can't say the word on a family friendly podcast, but she was just destroying anything. I was just like, you know, you know, they can't they could have thrown one line in like, you know, something about how Those lessons she paid fell. Off. Yeah, something, but it it ruined it. Honestly, that one scene ruined Thor two for me. Wow, Thor two was not as good as the first one because of that scene. There's so many other things about that movie that could have ruined it for you. It's it's a shame that you picked that one. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I said, you know, I try to let them have their way and you know suspend disbelief, all of that, but it just it that ruined it for me. So I was sorry. Uh, I was I was bummed by that uh you know it i just took that as after the frost giant kicked her butt she started taking lessons and she's had a couple of years of practice so that that didn't bother me Uh, it did me it bothered me a lot (laughs) okay um moving i think that's enough uh one other thing while we're talking about movies i just wanted to get this out there i want to say it's not always better to read the book um the just this this friday on the date that i was I was just talking about we went to see the catching fire the new uh oh, hunger okay. games book um and as i've mentioned before i've become a real audible fanatic uh and they do daily deals every day there's something that's it's either between three and five dollars you know every day and, and their typical books are in the 25 to 35 dollar range so that's it's a significant discount and um, with the release of the movie coming out, uh, one of the daily deals uh, a couple of weeks ago was uh, Catching Fire, the Hunger Games second in the series. And I thought, okay, I, I like to read the book if I can before I see the movie. Uh, I didn't read the first book before I saw the first movie. Uh, so this will, you know, I'll go ahead and do this. So I listened to it. And by the way, the reader was terrible. The reader was absolutely um, horrible. It bothers me when people are reading and it's obvious they don't know what they're reading the inflection's mm-hmm. wrong. You know, we've talked about this. I've talked about it before, how in movies it bothers me. But this whole book was, the inflections were wrong. The the, the words were mispronounced. And they just went with it. And there were times where there were obvious cuts, like she had left out a line or muffed a line or it, whatever. And she would come back and, and 
reread that same line, ADR it, is what they call it in the movies. You know, and I'm an audio guy. I pay, when I'm doing a show like this, I am I so careful with my edits. I, I try to make them so that even if you're listening for it, you can't tell there's an edit there. Even if you know there's an edit there, you can't tell there's an edit there. But they'll be listening to something like this where she'll say, you know, hey, watch out, Johnny said. You be careful. And it's like, wait, you... What she just she forgot that word. She came in a, a week later and said the two words Johnny said into a different mic in a different room, um, and you just stuck it in there. So there were things like that all over. It was sloppy production, but anyway, all of that to say the story was compelling enough that it, it kept me listening. But when I went to see the movie, you know, the story when read is eleven and a half hours. The movie was two and a half hours, a long movie, but they had to cut out so much of it. And so many things, the, there's scenes like, uh, there's this, the important scenes in the movie, um, uh, or in the book, right? So they put those in the movie, but without all the, the subtext, without all the, the stuff that build up to it, they're no longer important scenes. They're only yep. there for the people who've read the book. Um, and it just, it, I, it sort of ruined the experience for me. I think I would have enjoyed the movie better had I not read the book. So sometimes it's just not better to read the book. Well, I will say that the first Hunger Games, the movie was tons better than the book. I'm an actual reader, and it was probably about an eight to ten hour read. Um, and the second book, I really enjoyed. It's like whenever she finished reading the book and got like a sequel deal, she's like, oh, I better put some effort into this yeah, one. Yeah. And the second book was awesome. And the third book was great up until about the last 15 pages when she was like, Oh crap. I've only got 15 pages left. Puke the ending. Um, but the second book was awesome. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing the second movie. And maybe it was the reader that kind of botched a lot of it for you. No, I don't think that's it. It's just that they, they, they tried to be as faithful as they could to the book. Right. But there are scenes there. Um, well, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to give anything away there. The President Snow, uh, she goes on several times in the book to refer that to that he smells like roses and blood. Every time right. she gets near him, she smells those two things, roses and blood. So all the way through the movie, um, the actor whose name just leapt out of my head, um, who plays him. Um, always, Donald Sutherland. Sutherland, thank you. Always wears a rose. And there was one scene where he's drinking some champagne and the backwash is red. And it's like they, they, they only put that in there to satisfy this underlying theme of roses and blood. But it was so out of place in the movie. It didn't make any sense. That it, and it, it just it totally took me out of the movie. Like, whoa, why, why would they even put that in there? They had skipped it all yeah. this line. But just in order to, to try to be faithful to the book, they put this one visual in there that didn't make any sense, didn't move the story forward, didn't have any purpose. But... They just had to to get roses and blood in there, and and it's just it, it, there were things like that all the way through it where they did things because they knew all right if we don't do this people who read the book will be mad but it doesn't actually serve the story anymore we've cut so much right. out that the things that it served don't exist anymore right okay well that's typical for most books though you know imagine if they try to make the uh, the gunslinger series from Stephen King into a full into yeah. a movie set. There'd be no way. I felt the same thing about Ender's Game. You know, they were they hit all the high points, but they had cut out so much that the high points didn't have any purpose anymore in the movie. Yeah, they're no longer high points. Exactly. They were normal points. 
Okay, so that's all the ranting I had to do. Let's see, that I think that covers everything in our uh, warm-up. And, and yes, it was a little long, but we got no topic, people. So we got to fill it out somewhere. This is the... Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, you listeners need to send us some more topics. <laughs> that's right. This is what Chris Hardwick in the Nerdist podcast would call a hostful episode, um, where they don't have a guest and it's just the host. But now let's move on to the listener feedback, because we did have a few of those, beginning with Nathan who has a long email. I'm not sure I'm going to read all of it, but I might, and we'll go through here. Nathan uh, says, I heard you reply to me in the show, loved it, except for your answer about wireless carriers. He was asking, could he use a Nexus 7 tablet as a phone? Uh, and he says, except for your answer about wireless carriers, that kind of sucks. Oh, well, that's life. Awesome to hear another fan of Sluggy Freelance and John Ringo. That would be Seth there. I was a fan yes. of both when I was uh, when I read about the largest Shiva tank ever to see combat. Obviously, the only way to make it more scary and intimidating was to paint a rabbit with switchblades on the side. Um, I don't know if you've looked, but you might like this for the show. Check out John Ringo's bio. If there's a better qualified person to re- re- write military sci-fi, I don't know who it is. So I also liked your idea for preparing my productivity, separating my productivity in gaming using a virtual machine. Uh, as your advice uh, and your advice to do this as a learning experience is spot on. That's basically how I've learned everything about computers thus far. We all do that, Nathan. It's yeah. it's the um, my computer just crashed and the term paper is due in nine hours. I have to fix the computer. It's not an option. We all learn that much. Um, he moves on to say, I think I'll also experiment with Steam OS OS while I'm at it. Which kind of brings me to another question. I'll gladly tinker with this myself, but I'd like to know if it's worthwhile or even possible. You might save me some time. So here it goes. I have a cheap workstation I picked up for 80 bucks, and I intend to use as my PFSense Boris box, again with my learn-by-doing routine. But due to some speed bumps on that project and a nagging from a little sister, it's now a low-powered vanilla Minecraft server running MineOS. Can handle perhaps five players, and I'd like to fire up a server with a few heavy mods. I've learned that modded or not, the original code for Minecraft server.jar does not thread well over many cars. C- cores, excuse me. Adding mods increases the need for processing. When more, uh, I'm going to just go through there. Um, that's Java. Java doesn't yep. cross cores well, it just doesn't. So don't blame Minecraft for that. Um, so basically he goes on to say, um, uh, it's, uh, it's better to have one super high clocked, uh, uh, chip than, uh, on a single core than a bunch of lower clocked multi-core chips when doing this. And he says, my current system has a 2.81 gigahertz dual core AMD and six gigs of Ram. I hope to replace it after the first of the year, perhaps demote it to a Minecraft server. Would it be at all beneficial to run a lightweight distro on that since it only runs VirtualBox, and have VirtualBox emulate a single-core system of 3 or 4 gigahertz and run MineOS on that. Sounds great in theory, but so did healthcare.gov. His words, not mine. Uh, anyway, Good please words. continue to make great shows, and I'll most certainly continue to love them. I have another harebrained scheme that looks good on paper, or what if I ever got around to writing it down? Maybe I'll bounce it off you guys next time. Cheers. So his question is, is it better to take a dual core 2.8 gig processor and put that in a VM emulating a single core 4 gigahertz processor. My gut reaction is no. That's not that's not going to help anything. No, it won't. Because what's going to happen is it's going to bog out on because you can't really set your single core processor speed 
it's kind of the speed on the virtual machine is based on the speed of the current pro- the physical processor so that that isn't going to work um and you would be even if you ran a lightweight distro in virtualbox you'd be losing speed and resources because you are emulating a system so i think that would be your thought i don't know the thought is even right I can understand why he's thinking of doing it that way, but it's not going to work. Yeah. And, and yeah, I would say that any overhead gains you would get by the virtualization would be lost in the overhead and more so. So great in theory, but I don't think it'll work well in practice. And I know, I don't know anything about Minecraft, but I know a little bit about Java in general. And um, you're not going to be, a, if you run that on a single core in an emulated uh, system, um, you're not going to be able to access the RAM as efficiently. So not only are you not accessing the CPUs efficiently, you're not accessing the RAM, and Java is pretty RAM uh, intensive. So I, I really think you're just going to make it harder. So don't do it. Well, it, it, at least for VirtualBox. Now, if he did something uh, bare metal virtualizing where it would access uh, something similar to like VMware Server EXXI or... Uh, Oh, what's yeah. that other so one? So we're actually using the, the hardware. Yeah. Yeah, an, an actual bare metal virtualizer. Um, Wait, that would be a different subject. But using VirtualBox, you're you're putting an abstraction layer in there that, that's going to slow everything down at considerable steps. I think we have another question later on about hypervisors. So hold on to that thought, Chris. Um, Whoop! Pete, who calls himself Spaceman Pete, has a couple of questions and some suggestions. Now, I ran a couple of his emails together into one, so if it seems disjointed, that's not his fault, it's mine. So I finally got around to trying a stock Ubuntu experience going with the most recent and polished 13.10 and found it visually appealing and intuitive enough coming from many years of using OS X. As soon as my 2010 Mac Mini dies, I'll be switching full-on to Linux. Unity is bloated and sluggish, and and as well as just unimpressive. Uh, where have you heard that before? So mm. <laughs> I went with Linux Mint 16 with Cinnamon. I installed the Petra release candidate probably less than a week before the official build, build was posted online, and wow, it was much more delightful experience than most distros I've ever tried. It was smooth, it was snappy, it was very, very functional, almost 100%. Which brings me to my actual question. How does one troubleshoot a keyboard or trackpad driver implementation? Sometimes when I boot up the laptop, the onboard keyboard and trackpad are not detected, and I'm forced to hard shut down the machine by holding the power button, which kind of hurts a little inside every time I do it. This happens close to 50% of the time now, but I can find no rhyme or reason to it. I did upgrade from RC to official as instructed on... uh, uh, Linux Mint site, uh, and all seemed well. I was wondering if you had any advice for my testing. Oh, wait. Okay. So we'll stop there. Uh, the, now we're moving on to his next question. So you guys have any experience with that? I have none at all. Um, first thing, verify that connection is good. So I don't know how, but sometimes those connections get loose on the inside. True. So maybe pop your keyboard off and make sure that that connection is good and another thing you can do to test is with the usb ports plug in a usb keyboard and a usb mouse just to verify that it is if it is a hardware thing or if there's just something weird going on with that module in the system 
on your particular hardware. Those would be my two suggestions. Chris? My idea would be a little more simpler. Uh, well, you'd still need to do the USB keyboard um, on the case that if it isn't working. Uh, they do try to auto-detect the keyboard manufacturer, um, and so they load up a particular keyboard layout. If it's loading up a keyboard layout that isn't your keyboard, it would cause it to not work. Um, for example, if you tried to load up a Microsoft 104 key, key uh, keyboard system, but not have a 104 keyboard, the, you know, have it say a, a Dvorak keyboard layout is loading, your keyboard won't work. So maybe go into the keyboard and settings and see if it's using one of the generic keyboard layouts or if it's manually selected like a European version or um, some other different other than what the key, you know, a generic keyboard layout. Because I know with my uh, two-version-year-old two laptop, it would detect one keyboard layout, and it was the wrong one. I had to actually manually go in and change it to go to the other one in order for all my keys to work. Um, I would end up with, like, uh, the number pad keys were stuck on, so on a laptop, you'd only get half your keyboard. Something to check just to make sure it's working. All right. And we'll move on to the second part of his uh, question. He says, I was also wondering if you had any advice for testing my LAN and WAN internet speeds. Um, I think he means intranet speeds, but we'll we'll go there. I've, I've been having issues with my service, especially after switching my router to an expensive-ish Asus N66U with Verizon Fios 25 meg up, 25 meg down, eat your heart out, guys, service. But on average, I'm getting like 5 to 10 megabits. And my five gigahertz channel on the router is in is measurably slower than the regular channel. I know there are a few vectors that that need attention. Have you got any strategic advice? Best regards, Spaceman Pete. Hmm. I'm I'm not sure because if you move to a, a, I would say the first thing to try is eliminate the Azus router, the Azus router, and try either the stock one that Verizon gave you or check the Verizon one that they gave you and see if it's in bridge mode or not. Because if it's not in bridge mode, you're double routing, and that could cause some issues. One thing I thought to try is just do a little sleuth detective work. Don't go over the internet, but use your wireless. So from one device in your house to another using the wireless, transfer a file of of a known size, see how long it takes, and a little bit of math there will tell you your megabits per second there. So um, your uh, your five uh, gigahertz connection, uh, you didn't say whether what it was. At, well, you said Asus N sixty six. So I'm guessing that's eight hundred two dot eleven N. So yeah. that should give you a hundred megabits ish, depending on your range. I mean, there's a lot of variables there, uh, but see what that is, and if it's way slower than you think it should be, it's long before you get to your router. Um, if it goes super fast. But then as soon as you go out to the internet, things bog down, then you've got a router issue, maybe a router table issue, maybe you've, maybe you've got two routers fighting each other, something like that. But try to narrow down where the problem lives first. Uh, maybe hardwire into the router, plug a cable directly into the router, skipping wireless altogether, and do a download. To, I don't like speed tests. Yeah. Software. I don't like speed test out that or any of those guys for troubleshooting. They're fine for giving a basic idea. But they're not good for troubleshooting. Go go to a place and download a file. Count the megabits. Count the time it takes you to download it. 
then no. unplug and go wireless and do a different file, not the same one, because you don't want caching to get you, and and do it again. Go ahead, Seth. Yeah, having said that, there are land speed test programs that you can download that you control both ends of, so that will give you a better picture. I, I wish I could remember, but um, at a school district, I use one to test the speed between connections, and it was pretty much spot on what we were getting. So you could try that um, to verify your internal land speeds, um, either plugged in with the wire or the wireless and then having done that, and one thing you might try just the driver, because if you yeah. have a bad driver on your computer, that that's a lot of times you'll connect, but you won't get anywhere near the good speed. So that's one thing. And then the other option would be you can set up a VPN somewhere and run that land speed test, like, you know, to a friend's house or somebody else. Um, and But, you know, again, speed tests are great, but those res- those results are very easily faked across the internet but software that you control you would then be able to figure out if it was giving you the speeds advertised or not yeah so based on what you've said here i think it's either uh, a driver issue like seth said or a wireless configuration issue i think you're going to see performance degraded across the wireless whether it's internet or not just based on what you described yeah it could be though that he does have the um, Verizon FiOS router still on, and could be causing an issue there. True, because if, if that FiOS router has um, Wi-Fi built into it, like most of the routers do nowadays, they could be there could be interference there. There could be um, a router table issues between the two routers co- uh, colliding, like you're saying, Mark. So yeah, try. A couple of different things that we've suggested, and then if you're still running into some issues, bring us some more information, and maybe we can help you troubleshoot it out. And Nightstar in our chat room says that local land speed can be tested with an app called JPERF, J-P-E-R-F. Uh, he says he uses it in his school to test connections. Looks to me like it's a Java-based network performance tool. So JPERF, check it out. Uh, Pete has a PS. He says, I'll take a stab at a name for Mark's new moniker. How about the Baconator? Um, and then PPS, <laughs> don't know if y'all remember from my forum post about the bad movie recommendation, Manborg, but I finally got around to watching it, and it's ridiculously awesome. I'll write up a full post in the forums, but if you can find it, I think it's uh, it's around $10 on Amazon. It's worth watching. Manborg. Hmm. Great name. Interesting. Okay, so moving on to the next one, Jeff wants some advice about hypervisors. Dun, dun, dun. Is there a hypervisor other than ESXi that you would recommend for spinning up Linux virtual Linux servers using an existing network? I don't mind the physical server being headless, uh, or would I be better off running something like VMware Player on a, VM, on a Linux system? How would you do this? This hardware would be set up uh, in a Windows domain network, a uh, small business server, to provide servers and services as we try to migra- migrate away from Windows. My first project is a ZoneMinder security system, and I wanted to do this apart from the Windows server. Uh, ESXi is good. Uh, there is Proxmox. There is KVM. Yep. Uh, those are both good and pure Linux-based solutions. Uh, all will do the same thing. They're all uh, bare metal hypervisors that will run um, a tiny, like, 32-meg Linux OS uh, that does the hypervising. It's going to give you much better performance than running VMware Player on Linux. Yep. 
Um, I've used um, EXXI uh, pretty heavily currently in my school system. Um, I just picked up a new bare metal server that I'm going to put Proxmox on it so I can uh, test the difference between the two. Um, they're a little bit different hardware specs, but uh, I want to be curious. I'm curious to find out if how big of a difference there is between the two. And the biggest um, issue that I've always had with EXXI is you have to be running uh, the control module from a Windows machine. So if you're trying to get away from Windows completely, uh, EXXI may not be an option for you because you still have to control it with a Windows machine. All right. And next, listener feedback. Lee offers some some suggestions about tablets. He says, in a response to a question from episode 121, I'd like to point out that the combination of Google Voice plus an app called Groove IP made a decent phone out of my Nexus 7. I wasn't looking to, looking to do it intentionally. I lost my phone and just downloaded Groove IP and pointed Google Voice toward um, to forward to Google Talk, which Groove IP will answer, just to see if it will work until I got a new phone. It did. But there's another consideration to think about. The microphone on the Nexus 7 sucks. So while I could hear calls clearly, my elderly mother couldn't hear me well at all. Texting works well from the tablet as well, but note that Google Voice doesn't do picture messaging. Uh, actually, Google Voice does do picture messaging now. They just turn it into an email. Uh, they will if you they will take the, the picture message and send it as an email attachment to the e- Gmail account associated with Google Voice. So that that is relatively not super new, but it's only been in the last several, maybe year, uh, several months to a year, that they did, they did that. So Lee probably doesn't know that. And I, I I knew about Groove IP, but Nathan's original question was, uh, is can I do it without using uh, a VoIP service? And the the answer was no. But yes, Groove IP will do it. Other things will do it. I didn't know about the uh, the the speaker issue. Uh, I guess having a headset, a Bluetooth headset, would fix that, or even a wired headset. Um, I, I can't yeah. imagine wanting to put a seven-inch phone up to my head anyway. So I would want, you know, a, a headset when I'm using it. Yeah, and I can honestly say that for um, I haven't used Groove IP, but I have done a Bluetooth headset. Um, I haven't tried my wired headset on it yet to, on my Nexus Seven to see um, if it's if it works. If I don't know if the little 3.5 millimeter jack has a mic piece as well. Um, I didn't look when I opened it up, but if it does, it might just be a headset only or a, a he- headphones only, not headset jack. Um, I'll experiment this week and let you guys know next week what I find out. All right. And Matt, uh, Matt and I were corresponding about coffee, actually, and I didn't put all that in the show. Uh, but in the uh, end of one of his emails, he says, I will suggest a name for Mark. How about Sultan of the Soapbox? So that's mm. Matt's suggestion. Sultan of the Soapbox for, for me. That's an interesting SOS one. SOS has a ring to it. Yes, yes. So throw that in the hopper of consideration, and we'll, uh, we'll consider that in the future. That's it for listener feedback, so thanks for for that, guys. I'm pretty sure you're all guys with names like Pete and Nathan and Mike, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's a female listener out there somewhere, maybe some guy's girlfriend or wife who has to listen to us because he won't put his headphones in. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. If there's, a, if there's a female listener out there, just say hi. Just let us know you're out there. Um, but another thing... 
that uh, we can let you know about is, of course, our good friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com. Uh, once again, they're sponsoring the show this week. We're so thankful that they do. I don't think they have any women working there either, by the way. But LinuxAcademy.com offers step-by-step <laughs> video courses to help total newbies, absolute noobs, beginners, uh, neophytes, uh, go from knowing nothing about Linux to becoming a Linux server administrator. That's pretty cool. Why would you want to be a Linux server administrator? Well, first off, because we're awesome. But secondly, there's money to be made out there in Linux world these days. There's all kinds of, of uh, job opportunities. In fact, uh, Linux Academy has, in the recent past, added a job search section to their website where they will take you to uh, places where you can get jobs based on the skills that they just taught you. How are they going to teach you those things? How about over 200 training videos? organized uh, by modules and by courses and also just available a la carte. Those videos cover all sorts of stuff, everything from uh, from web mastering, and they even have, you can get certified as an Amazon Web Services uh, guru uh, by taking their stuff. Uh, you can get your uh, LPIC level one, and I think they're working on a level two uh, stuff right now. All these courses, um, and they just uh, recently uh, done a full control panel update, which I talked about before. They just finished that, and now they're adding practice exams. So not quizzes necessarily, but practice exams saying, I want the LPIC1. Here's a practice exam that if I can pass this, I should be able to pass the LPIC1. These guys are serious about making you an expert. And they give you great tools to do it. Not only do they have the videos, but PDF study guides that go along with those videos. Notes uh, that are time-coded so that as you're reading the notes, you can say, oh, yeah, this was at, at 10 minutes and 3 seconds. Uh, I, I, I don't quite get that. I need to go back and watch it again. They have a lesson browser uh, that tracks everything you're doing. They, they, it shows you the videos you've watched. It shows you the videos you have yet to watch. It shows you the tests you've taken and the scores that you have made on those tests. They're improving that as time goes by. This is really becoming a full-on learning management system that that rivals anything that Blackboard or, or anybody else there out there, Pearson, uh, any of those big guys could come up with. But what is different about them is they don't charge the big guy price. For, for In fact, you can get started for a dollar. Throw Anthony a dollar through PayPal and he'll give you 14 days to try it out. 14 days to go download videos, to go look at PDFs, to take tests, to use the lesson browser, to even use their Linux Academy for Teams modules where you can uh, s- o- uh, oversee what other people are doing and watch their progress as well as your own. Um, all this stuff for, for 14 days for a dollar because he's so sure that he can really stick you after the 14 days because it's going to be you're going to get your uh your get used to it, and he's really going to get those meat hooks in you and he's really going to stick it to you with 19 dollars a month oh for my this goodness. stuff but you know what <laughs> it, it gets even worse it's he's such a greedy monger that if you pay for three months he'll only charge you for two how about a quarter for 38 dollars 19 dollars a month or 38 dollars a quarter are you kidding me how is this man making any money at all? He's probably not. He's paying it all to us. Um, but uh, <laughs> take it. I feel like a used car salesman. These prices can't last, people. And I really think it's true. They can't last. As his, as the reputation of Linux Academy goes up, his prices are going to go up because he's going to be worth more and he's going to be able to demand more. So get in on the ground floor while you can because I happen to know Seth is among them. People who were using them when they had a different pricing scheme, he doesn't change that. 
what what you start with is what you what you get because uh, Anthony's an honorable guy. Nineteen dollars a month, thirty eight dollars a quarter for thousands of dollars worth of learning. It's an. Yeah, Mark, I just want to. I just want to jump in here. While you were reading the ad copy, I Googled Linux training and I found a place for the bargain price of $2,000. You can take an online course to prepare you for the LPIC one. So come on guys, $2,000 to prepare you for just the LPIC one and additional cl- classes at additional costs for other topics or $19 a quarter or $19 a month, $38 a quarter to cover a wide variety of Linux learning. You really, you can't beat this for, I have not found anything out there anywhere close to this level at anywhere near the price. So Anthony is doing a great thing and he's doing a great service and get in now because like, like Mark said, um, I got in at a different price. I'm still being charged that price. So get in at this price. So if the prices go up in the future, you'll still have this one. By the way, $2,000, if my math is right, is 20 years of linuxacademy.com at $38 nice. a quarter for 20 years. You can use their services, and they're just growing all the time. They have 200 videos now, but it was like at 150 just a couple of months ago. They're adding every, I don't know about every day, but certainly on a regular basis. They're adding to their stuff, adding to their offerings. Um, and so, yeah, how, how about buying 20 years worth of learning for the same cost that you get could get one class at elsewhere? linuxacademy.com when you go there use the uh, referral code everyday linux let them know you found out about it here and maybe they'll keep sponsoring us um and did you mention the new practice exams he's adding yes i did you were you were searching when i did okay (laughs) just wanted to make sure because i mean people if anybody who is when you're studying Knowing knowing how to study is a really great thing because, you know, you can know all the facts in the world. But if you think in ABCs and the test is asking in one, two, threes, you're going to seem like a complete idiot. So ha- taking a practice test to understand the the way they want content presented in the exam and the way this content needs to be accessed in the real world is a big deal. So anyway, just a freebie for you there. There you go. And that brings us to our news section of the show. We're an hour in, and we have about an hour and 50 minutes of content left to go. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm not going to put you through all that. We'll be cutting heavily as we go. Uh, But if you're one of the lucky 300, you might be getting your Linux game on soon. This is Sparta! Sorry. Or maybe Steambox, as the case may be. Um, yeah, the, the steam boxes have been kicked out, out the shipping doors as for the few beta testers that have been granted the rights to have a steam box shipped to them. Um, they started being shipped December 13th. The steam OS is currently, I think is being available now as of the date of recording, if I remember correctly. Um, yes, it is the, available now. It, is it available now? I knew it was yes. getting close, but I haven't seen it yet. So, um, I think it's awesome that it's being, that it's out and av- out and available. So let's go play with it. Let's go break it. Let's go make it better than Xbox and PlayStation and let's take over the gaming market. I actually thought you weren't going to be on the show tonight because you would have already been playing on it. So kudos <laughs> to you. 
for showing up or did you just you didn't know so you know if we accidentally lose chris during the rest of this show he'll probably be <laughs> downloading steam there's a chance that there's a chance that i have a torrent already started and i had to pause today's show <laughs> um but yes uh I, i'm i'm hoping that valve and their steam box ends up taking a huge chunk out of everyone's pockets when it comes to uh when it's actually is released next year uh i think it's the middle of next year's when they're hoping to have uh steam machines on the on the showroom floors for people to buy now this is different than their their proposed beta of the steam box there's another select group of people that sometime in the future will be getting that and it's suspected that that not everybody's going to get the same thing that they're going to make several models and send them out for field testing but that's that, what this is Oh, it's a Steam box, okay, not the Steam OS. No, yeah, yeah the, the Steam, Steam o- box is okay. being sent out to the 300, and it's just a beta, but the Steam OX beta is available for download, and you can make your okay. own Steam box. Gotcha. I yep. I misunderstood what you were saying there because I was cutting things out of the show. Sorry. Um, <laughs> That's okay, Mark. We'll let you go this time. It's... If I do my job right, you don't know how much work I do on this show. You think we just get together and talk, but it really is a lot to do to produce a show. So every now and then I get caught in it. I, I love listening to the big guys get in that same boat. Every now and then you'll hear Leo Laporte ask a question that had just been answered, and you think he was totally not paying attention. He, The UPS guy came to the door, and he went to, to sign for the package. He had no idea what was going on. It makes me feel better about myself because I do the same thing. <laughs> right. So Nokia, who has been in, been in bed with Microsoft for so long now, uh, who sold part of their uh, company to Microsoft, maybe making an Android phone? Yeah, there's a lot of talk and there's even, the reason this is up in news now is because somebody has, um, released a, um, like a, a Twitter gram picture of it, but they're actually, and it's working under the code name Normandy, but what they're trying to do is not just throw Android on a handset and be like everyone else. They're actually trying to kind of go the way to Amazon and they're modding android so it would be the you know no nokia kind of playlist it would still run google stuff but there wouldn't it wouldn't be the same as everybody else it would they would kind of be trying to do an android thing and have their own closed market to play with as well and like i say it's under the code name normandy and you know nokia they know how to build a handset they um they can throw some technical specs in a handset and um you know there won't be any slouch in that department it's just you know are there going to be any apps that are good to separate them from anywhere else and now that they're just about finished with their cell microsoft is microsoft going to kill this before it comes out those are the big questions in the land right now up in the northern parts of the frozen tundra that is Europe this year. <laughs> but what's interesting is the the leaks, at least what's in this article, is just a generic phone with no... It could be anything. This is just a box. Somebody said that it may be running Android, but there's nothing in this these pictures that indicate Android at all. Right. Now, again, it could just be that this is a couple of pictures that they just put on it, but... I, I I question when there's so little to go on, other than somebody heard somebody heard somebody. Um, if that's yeah, I almost put this in the rumor section, but 
honestly, I didn't think of the rumor section until further down. <laughs> so it's up here in the news section. Sorry. Yeah, I, this definitely qualifies as an unsubstantiated rumor as far as I can see. Uh, but let's look at something that is trying to be substantiated, and that is the Linux Foundation wants to create a new standard for stuff. Yeah, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about the um, the worm that's going out there after the Internet of Things that are running outdated versions of Linux. Well, the Linux Foundation has announced the formation of the All Scene Alliance, a cross-platform industry consortium working on a standard of interoperability among devices connected to the Internet of Things. So these would be things like your smart TVs, your wireless routers, such as that gaming devices, uh, media centers, you know, not necessarily a tablet, a smartphone, a computer, but the other things that like your smart fridge, your smart house, your smart controller, things like that to present a uniform way. Well, you know, it's a lot like whenever the internet first went out, you know, you had your three com network cards and your Cisco network cards and your Billy Joe Jim Bob's bargain basement network cards that didn't necessarily work the same way. And they've, you know, now they're pretty much all a network card is a network card. It doesn't matter. And we're just going to build them into the motherboard. That's because they all have the so, same chip. What did that was Broadcom one and Intel <laughs> and they only make two chips now. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they're kind of making it where you'll be able to interface between devices better. Um, so just to make it like an internet of things rather than, you know, a bunch of separate networks that only marginally talk to each other. So that, that's their goal. And that, and like I say, this is a new thing, but they already have members like LG and Panasonic and Sharp and Qualcomm and even Cisco and D-Link are in it. So hopefully you know this something like this is good for the consumer i think because if you've been using one company's thing and you go to another company's thing you know you won't have to buy a whole new set of adapters to connect to your stuff kind of deal yeah standardization is is always valuable as uh the city of munich has found out since they standardized on linux they finished their their transition after a couple of years and they say it's a success Yes, it actually, they went further than projected. Uh, Limux, which is kind of their own homegrown distro, um, you know, and they started, I believe it was about 10 years ago they started. Um, and they, they say they saved over $16 million, uh, in us dollars. And their goal was to migrate like 12,000 desktops, but they ended up, um, with over 14,800 of their, and they have about 15,500. So, you know, there's still windows there and probably some Macs because while Linux is great for special cases, there might not be software or windows or Mac does it better. So, um, but they pretty much standardize on Linux and they are saying we've completed the project. It is successful. It is saving us money. And they've even given back to the community with some of the, um, you know, formats and standards they've created. So way to go, Munich. You are a shining light in the GNU slash Linux land. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. When, when that large a, a deployment is that successful, but it really takes. 10 years and a commitment 
And so many yeah. times you hear about a failed implementation, it's because they gave it a year and weren't committed to it. Um, yeah, and a lot of times, I remember seeing other cities tried, but they started off saying we're going to switch to this something that was already an old standard or an old version of the os and then they say see it can't do what we want it fails it's crap we're going back to windows uh kind of thing yeah when the anderson household switches to linux big deal you know but like i say when when the city of munich switches to linux well that yeah that's a big deal you know uh last week i think it was last week maybe two weeks ago we were talking about uh Cisco certifications and and are they valuable and and Seth and I opined about how uh, cryptic and difficult the Cisco OS inside a switch can be. Dell seems to agree with that, and so they're making switches with just plain old Linux in them. Oh, that'll be nice. Yes, yeah, you know, like the Cisco OS is called. Um, I believe it's actually called. It's not iOS, is it? Internet OS? I don't remember, but, but they, there's a name for it. And Dell's operating system is called, uh, FTOS and it stands for Force 10 operating system because they acquired that company. Um, and that's what it was. And so in, in the future, their, their next version of Force 10 is going to be running the Linux kernel. And they're really, they're not touting it has Linux on our switches and routers, but whether you can now manage their kernel or you can now manage your switches either via Linux or Force 10. So they see Linux has an, uh, has more simple and I guess, you know, it's probably just more secure because it's been vetted more than their, uh, Force 10 OS. So, um, that's what they're switching to in their in series. And, you know, and here's, you know, Juniper has one, HP has their device, um, there on routers and, you know, and what's really hard is like, if you have a Cisco device that's talking to an HP device or, you know, Juniper talking to Dell, I was at a job one time and part of my job was to configure VPNs between our office and a hospital that we were working with. And it was so hard because I was using a Cisco VPN concentrator and they were using something else, you know, whether it was a sonic wall or whatever. And so we would take turns. We would look for what was next on our thing and yeah. say, okay, I'm looking for this. What, what, what do you have that matches this? And sometimes it was called the same thing and sometimes it was called something else. And you know, all their stuff was on one page and all my stuff was on pay one page, but they weren't the same pages. So we went in up and sometimes it would literally take two or three days to get everything configured because all these OSs, they do the same thing, but they implement them in different ways. And so Cisco or Dell is moving to a Linux core for their router OS and switch OS. And, you know, it, standardization, again, is a good thing. If every switch is using Linux, I mean, why wouldn't you, right? It's free. It doesn't cost them anything. Um, right. They can, they can then share that to other companies or other companies can reverse engineer it, decompile it, whatever. And now you have identical open OSs across disparate devices. That that can only be a good thing. Um, it also means if a flaw is found in one, it's found in all the others, which is a bad thing. But, right. you know, it's, uh, I think it's about time this whole internet working thing got easier. Uh, and and this is a good thing because now you have yeah. the same kernel driving your desktop and the switches uh, that are connecting your desktops. It'd be nice. 
All right. And another Someday, thing that, I, right? that is a good thing, maybe, I'm not really sure about, uh, when I loaded up Gmail, uh, just this morning, in fact, I got a message that said, we've made images safer. Would you like to enable images? Or no, images have been enabled. So Gmail, by default, has always blocked all images in email. And the reason for that being um, they're, uh, of something called a web bug. It's easy to track um, where something is coming from by tracking the image. So the image has a unique name. So every email sent out has the same image, but the image has a unique name. So you can check your server logs and say, this person downloaded this image. Bingo. I got you. I know that you did it. I know where you are. I know your IP address. I know what time you check your email. So mail clients forever have been just not doing remote images. If the image isn't embedded in the email, uh, if it's downloaded off a server, they just block it. Well, Gmail figured out a way to blow that up, and I think it's pretty clever. Yeah, they've uh, now Google will cache every um, picture that is sent via email on their server. So those those spammers who send out the list, and you know, if I open the image, it has my email address in there. So one, I'm telling them that yes, that is a valid email address that they can turn around and sell to some other spammer, but they can also continue to send me spam. Now. It's hosted by Google, and now Google knows when I click that, and Google is an advertising company. Oh, he likes to click on pictures advertising Viagra for five cents or, or whatever. And so, you know, they're going to, I don't know, send, send show me pictures for or ads for Cialis in my, I don't, uh, whatever. I don't know. But anyway, so... It's a good thing, but you know, Google now knows what you did last summer and yesterday and four minutes ago. Right. Um, so, so what that, what that means to the spammer is my image got downloaded once by Google. That right. gives me no information. I don't know how many people my, my spam campaign has targeted. I don't know how many people it's reached. I don't know how to me, how many of those emails I sent, uh, were bogus to bogus accounts. How many actually got there? I don't know when anybody looked at it. I, all my information is gone. I know that Google downloaded my image once. Yeah. So right. it makes it useless to a spammer. But as Seth has pointed out, it's useful to the middleman who is also an advertiser. Um, yeah, so now this now more people have to spend money on AdSense, which is Google's advertising mechanism. Right. So, and it makes their advertising mechanism more um, better targeted and more robust because now they have that much more data. Now, one thing: this is only the default. You can go back in and change the default and set it back to the way it was um, of not showing pictures auto- automatically. Um, so yeah, I, and I, I think ahead. it's an awesome thing because sure it gives Google more information you could say, but no, it doesn't. Google already knew my email that I was getting. They knew when I read it, if I read it, they knew how long I stayed on it before I archived it or deleted it. I mean, Google has all that information. Uh, it, when you, it makes it easier for them to collect probably, right. when, you know, it's just an, it's an easier way to separate out the stuff I, I don't agree at all i don't think this had anything to do with easy i think it had to do with bandwidth because yep. now they they don't like you were talking about last week they can peer that information and down and serve it from themselves they don't have to go out anymore and download it because you know for for example i get uh, a daily email from ebay for my save searches 
and every day it comes in and all the images are hidden and every day i click the show images button yes i could always click the always show images but i don't for some reason so every day they go do that now everybody who looked at that same toaster that i looked at on ebay and used google to do it they only download that image one time I don't think this has anything to do with safety or advertising or anything. It is a purely optimization standpoint that they're well, selling it, as a protection. But, you know, this is an optimization for people with broadband and true broadband. It's a freaking service killer for people like me out on the sticks and the edge of society whose broadband doesn't qualify the current definition. Oh, of that. so, you're, so mad now, that you're mad that now the images are coming. I see. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, and I don't really do much through my google accounts um and you know i don't get a lot of i don't open a lot of my spam mail anyway i just delete it um but i can see where people who don't have super high speed bandwidth this is going to make them you know it's going to make their email slower yeah that could be but i bet if i were google and i'm not because Google's not a person, it's a group of people. But if I were Google, I would say um, in the near future, they're going to come up with some optimization algorithm that's going to detect your average bandwidth and start serving you lower quality images that don't impact your bandwidth, something like that. They'll, they're they'll going to turboize you, it. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I would see coming in the future. Yeah, so in the I, other mean, thing I, I could see it, but like I say, it it's probably something they didn't think about because, you right. know, they've got, you know, 15 petagigs or whatever to their desktop in the Google campus, and they just it's take true. it for granted that everybody has gigs of bandwidth to spare, um, you know, and some of us don't. And we can't even keep a connection up long enough to do the show without being cut out. <laughs> Well, that the one problem, thing I wonder, the oh, one thing yes. I wonder though, is how much storage is this is this going to eat up? I mean, think about that. If they're caching every picture that is going to go through their Gmail services, that's a lot of that's a lot of storage. Yeah, hard drives are cheap. That's, <laughs> that's why they're building that barge out in San Francisco for offsite storage. <laughs> they're going to harvest the energy of waves. There you go. But, you know, that that problem that you just talked about, Seth, might totally be resolved by this new technology that promises to provide half a gig over point old telephone lines. No, it doesn't solve it. But, yeah, there's a, the International Telecommunication Union yesterday, um, so December 11th, gave initial approval to a data standard that is capable of 500 megs in both directions over existing telephone wires. Now, you know, just because they approve it, that doesn't mean anything. Federal law in America says that 56K is as fast as it can go over regular phone wires. Um, and so we currently have the capability to do more than that, but we're limited by law. Um, but you have to be within... 250 meters of a distribution point um, on the network uh, on their phone lines. And I'm not within 250 meters of a distribution point. So 
it still won't help me. It, I mean, you know, this is great for small towns. Um, you know, it, it brings the last mile to them, but I need the last two and a half miles. Um, so, I mean, yeah, this will help a lot of people have an option for high speed and, uh, you know, and it would be a way for phone companies to kind of get back in the game without having to lay a bunch of new fiber. So hopefully it will go through and. It can be a big deal to America, uh, to Americans. Uh, well, I guess people all over the world, you know, you get a landline ran to your house and you don't have to have phone, but you have the landline ran and now you've got high speed access. Uh, and you know, 500 megs, it's pretty high speed. Um, uh, you know, but you have to be within 250 meters of a node. Now, you know, they can go and add more nodes, uh, to their network to do that, but. In, in uh, laboratory conditions, they've been able to achieve 1.3 gigs over 70 meters. Um, you know, and again, that's lab conditions. That's not real world, but 250 meters. And it's one of those things. The further it's in this sense is a lot like DSL. Mm-hmm. DSL, the closer you are to the phone company's uh, center, the faster you are. I remember when DSL was first reaching out, friends of mine were on the extreme range and their DSL was actually slower than dial up. Right. Um, you know, but, but this was years ago and, and it's grown, but it's still the further you are away, the slower the speed is. Uh, and so it's going to be the same thing with this, but it just, it, it, it's a chance for a much faster speed. Yeah. The, I did some research into telephone communication years back, just out of curiosity, and it's phenomenal that it works at all. I mean, there are two wires, <laughs> two wires. The average phone line has four in it, but it only uses two, one up, one down. That's it. Right. Uh, and imagine all the things that we've done with those two wires, fax machines, cell phone communications, internet, you know, dial-up, be it slow, but, uh, you know, you got your porn now. Uh, all of that... <laughs> over two wires um with power supplied at the other end of the wire you know it's it, you don't have to plug in your phone at your house the the power goes down that line so you got power and data both going down th- these lines that are just kind of thrown anywhere you know uh if you've yeah. <laughs> if you've ever seen a lineman work for the phone company they'll They'll run it through bodies of water they'll throw it up in trees <laughs> it's so robust it doesn't matter. Um, yep. right. for, for telephone, of course, that makes it really hard when you try to start getting data over at DSL. And that's why in the early days of DSL, uh, so many connections were just terrible because you didn't need a lot of fidelity for phone. Cause that's a, like a, what, four kilobit, I think connection, uh, data wise, it's, it's tiny. So it wasn't a big deal. Anyway, the, the fact that this is 500 megs, over 250 meters may not sound that all impressive, but it's a new thing, right? That's going to get better. Yeah. Um, and it, and you know, in the few years we might see those two crappy wires beating out fiber, which by the way is just two lines, one send one receive. Uh, they're just glass instead of copper. Uh, so, right. you know, we may be, you know, five, 10 years from now, we may all be complaining that we only got two gigs out of our connection when the neighbor up the street gets 10. Right. Yeah, right. Mark my days. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen in my <laughs> neck of the wood. Not unless the uh, the telcos around here decide to uh, increase performance immensely. Yeah, but see, the thing is, Chris, you have broadband now, where just five years ago, you couldn't even get it. 
And well, we you, still had it five years ago, but it was okay. horribly expensive. Okay. That's the kicker, is the expense. So, anyway, it's it's just, I'm always excited when something totally new comes down the line, because I can see down the line the implications. Of course, I'm wrong what? more often than I'm right, but I'm fine with that. Um, I'm hopeful. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm hopeful that we'll get some better connections up this neck of the woods, and maybe Seth will get some uh, of those uh, hot air balloon connections, and he'll have better connection in his neck of the woods too. But uh, you know, I, I'm kind of I, I always bill myself as a realist, and I know it's not going to happen unless there's some big money in it for the big telcos. So there, there know, are two here, things holding back our future right now: uh, power and communications. There, the, yep. the, we could build the Starship Enterprise out of materials we have and technology we have, with two exceptions: power and communications. Uh, right. We, we still don't have anything better than the the battery that uh, Alessandro Volta came up with in the 1700s. I mean, we've refined the process, but it's still sticking two metals together and watching what happens. Uh, um, actually, they had batteries in ancient in the, Egypt. Yeah, the Baghdad battery, yeah. Yes. But it wasn't a dry cell. Uh, Volta oh, came true. up with the first dry cell. Uh, so anyway, that that is is an Achilles heel, heel and uh, communications. As good as it is, it still takes, what is it, uh, 19 light minutes, I think, to communicate with the Mars rover, and Mars is in our backyard, astrologically speaking. So, yeah. you know, if we could build the starship enterprise and go out to boldly go where no man has gone before it we would be completely cut off from the earth because we can't communicate in reasonable amounts of time so those are the two things that are holding us back and and anything that that you know moves forward in either either of those directions excites me because i want the enterprise dang it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but Mark, when the first telegram that they were able to send around the world, this was in the 19 aughts, it took over seven minutes. Right. So, you know, now if, if it took if it took seven seconds, we would think that it was congested somewhere. Yeah. So we're, you know, <laughs> in 100 years, we've made a lot of progress. Right. So, yeah, we complain about Skype. Like I was I was talking with somebody. Um, you know, as we do here all the time, right? I was talking with somebody literally on the other side of the world. Uh, it was a 12 hour time difference. So exactly the other side of the world. Um, and we were complaining about, there were some sky hookups. This was a while back on the other, uh, the, the Taiwan tech podcast. And I just had to laugh at myself. It's like, you know, there was some Skype delay and his picture was a little fuzzy. He's freaking half a world away. And we're having a conversation over the internet for free and whining about it because it wasn't good yeah shit. that's the thing you're not paying a hundred bucks a minute or whatever it's just no extra cost to you and you're able to communicate with someone that far away okay next story up we have um a new android threat that could turn some phones into spy devices I am skeptical because this sounds like headline baiting, but I'll see what you have to say on it, Seth. Okay. Well, there's, there's two different aspects of this story. Uh, one of the, it talks about an advertising, um, a web kit that's out there that app users use and then also an unrelated malware family. I'm only talking about the, um, 
the WebKit portion, there is a software framework dubbed Widit, which developers for more than a thousand Android apps have used to build re- revenue generating capacities in their apps. You know, basically the on-screen advertising, the ads that are served up and whatever. And what they, what Widit does whenever you install it, it asks for tons of permissions that the app doesn't need you know can it disable uh locking can it um record audio can it read your browsing history can it read it can it read your bookmarks not that those are required for the game but they're just asking for that permission so if later the advertising they choose to sell will use it they already have those permissions built in so the the possibility that this opens is that if someone is able to compromise that network, then they have the permission already granted to that network to, um, you know, run programs, uh, after you receive a text message to look at your browsing history, to look at your contacts and to do things like that. So not saying that that network would use it maliciously, but it's one of those things you want to give some, you know, in, in terms of security, you want to give someone the least effective permission necessary to do their job. Well, this thing asks for anything it thinks it might ever need to push advertising to you. So, and, um, anyway, that's the possibility that that's built in. And that was the aspect of the story I wanted to talk about the Widit network and the way they choose to bundle their advertising and permissions with the app kits that are out there. And since now Android has decided to turn off the ability to restrict things, um, by permission, you either install it or you don't. Uh, I've, I've seen that lots of times, like, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. It was a, a live wallpaper app. That's what it was. The live wallpaper app that I was going to install that asked permission to read my phone log, uh, uh, connect over the internet and over uh, Wi-Fi, keep my phone unlocked. It sounds like it was probably this thing. It was asking for all those permissions, and I went, uh, no. <laughs> Not just to see some cool lightning on my desktop. No. But I'm I'm probably in the like point oh one percent who even looks at that, and an even smaller uh, group that would be tinfoil hat enough to say no. Most people are going to go sure whatever, give me the cool stuff. Right. Well, I, I was going to install Skype on my tablet, my uh, transformer tablet, and I was like, you don't need to do all that stuff. Screw you. And so <laughs> I closed out of the app store. You know that was, you know, and. It, I just like, no, I don't, because I want to use my app, you know, like I want to use my tablet like a computer. Like I tried the Facebook app. It was garbage. So I just pull up my browser and I opened up Facebook and I use it in a browser and it's amazing. It's like I'm using Facebook on my computer. So anyway, uh, you know, I've thought about anyway, that's just, that's just me. I'm weird like that. I'm old school. Well, what it uh, sounds, sounds, it, it sounds very. NSA ask. It sounds like something Snowden what might write. And, right. uh, you know, uh, as we're seeing, uh, people are paying attention to these sort of things. In fact, Cisco has taken a hit in the pocketbook lately overseas. Yes. Um, Cisco and executives recently announced big declines in their product orders in China. And they are saying at least part of the blame is on uh, the NSA. You know, and 
we in America have heard about the Chinese trying to spy on us. So, you know, it's kind of like one upmanship and I'm sure Mark Chinese marketing are saying, do you want the NSA spying on you? No. Well then buy our routers rather than Cisco's because they're better for you. And you already know we spy on you. So what's the difference? Um, you don't want two people spying on you, but yeah, so they are, you know, there's a lot of numbers in there. Their product orders declined 18%, uh, in the quarter. Um, so, that's a lot and you know and this is a repercussion are is america just going to be kind of cut out of the leadership of the internet over backlash from the nsa run amok and you know part of it is that but also part of it is just the nsa got caught and right. i'm sure every country every country's doing this but not every country has been proved to be doing this and so since we are you know we're taking our lumps now and it's really coming at a bad time has every every couple of years there's more and more push for the internet to lose its american centristic leadership and this is going to come heavily the next time those talks come and well, then, you know, oh, yeah. not only that, but we've been saying on this show and others like it for years that uh, we suspect Chinese manufacturers of putting uh, bugs in in the chips, you know, in the iPhone and the routers and that sort of stuff. You know, we suspected that. They suspect that of us. Spy, spy. I mean, I don't know why this surprises anybody, but just like we're reluctant to to buy chips manufactured in China, they're now saying we don't want to buy cisco the irony though is that every chip in those cisco things was manufactured in china <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that's so we're 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 worried about what might be on these even though we programmed it here in our factories yeah well you know they might have programmed the chip but they didn't program the uh the software running it so maybe that's yeah. a a big deal i i don't know I, it, it's just posturing. That's all there is to it. And it could just be that the only reason there was a downturn is nobody likes to make capital gains purchases in the final quarter of the year. They're waiting till yeah. the first quarter so they can amortize that better. Uh, all networking equipment is expensive, and it may just not be a big deal, but it's a it's a good headline. But whenever you look at that, when you, I mean, my understanding is they're comparing it from quarter to quarter. So you would expect it to be about the same has the same period last year. Okay. I'll give you that. I was just trying to be reasonable. F forgive me. <laughs> reasonable. Come on, Mark. We're a podcast. Yeah. The Sultan of the Soapbox here. was trying to be reasonable. Uh, that's <laughs> it for the news this way. I'm going to skip the rumors because I don't like dealing in rumors. And let's go on to this week in tech history. This was a rich week in tech history. Yes. Um, I gave the guys a choice of doing um, at least one, if not more. We all highlighted our favorite one that I found, and we all chose something different. So, so you picked yeah. Well, no, I'm just going to read them. I'm going to read the three that were chosen okay. uh, in hi reverse historical order. December 16th, 2003, George W. Bush signs the Can't Spam Act of 2003 into law. So that would be 11 years ago. Let um, me tell you why I picked that one before you move on. It was useless legislation. It's the finest example of useless legislation in the modern age. <laughs> Let's take people but who don't obey laws and make new laws that they won't obey and then well, give it a the, clever name called can yeah. spam it's one of the best it, uh, named acts yes 
it made the name spam official. So that's the one aspect of this law is that it's now officially spam and it's not just the de facto standard. Right. It's the lawful standard of that um, segment <laughs> of society. Um, the next one, imagine this December 18th, 1997 HTML 4.0 was published. So 1997, and it's still in wide use today. Everybody talks about HTML5 coming out and the new stuff that's in it. Well, whenever that finally gets adopted everywhere, we won't be using HTML4 anymore. So when Windows 95 was the big deal before 98 came out, that's HTML4. And that came out. And going way back in the interconnection of things, December 14th, 1902, the Commercial Pacific Cable Company lays the first Pacific Telegraph cable from San Francisco to Honolulu. And eventually they would lay segments that got it all the way across the Pacific Ocean. But at this time, if you wanted to send a telegram from California to Japan, you had to send it across the United States, across the Atlantic to Europe uh, and to Russia through Russia to Japan. So 1902, the first, um, the first Pacific telegraph cable was laid from San Francisco to Honolulu. And that all happened this week in history. Dun, dun, dun. We need a theme for this week in history. I'll, I'll, I'll get to work on that, but that's a big <laughs> one. The transatlantic, because we talk about that even today, you know, we talk about, yeah. Um, long distance cables. I know not many people use that phrase anymore. Uh, kids today don't even know what long distance is. There's a phone call. It doesn't matter what the distance is. But um, those transatlantic cables, the the cables themselves may not still be in use, but the roots are. And if you've ever seen yeah. anybody, lay, it's so fascinating to watch it because they literally just throw it off a boat. I've seen him do it a couple of times. There's nothing more uh, spectacular than that. There's a big spool on a boat, and they throw the thing off the boat. And where it lands, that's where it is. Yeah. It's it's an it's an interesting thing. There there's plenty of videos out there of of watching this happen. So you'll have to go out and watch it. If yeah. you've never seen this, it's funny because you, you just realize that, oh, we just didn't care back then. We just kind of <laughs> right. throw and yeah, well, it's you there. know, the, you maybe have this giant bundle of fiber optic cables that cost a thousand dollars a foot, and you got guys with rubber gloves and aprons just throwing it off the boat. That's yep. that's how we're dealing with this. We're just going to chuck it off the. We're not going to really pay any attention to what's down there. We're just we're just going to chuck it off the boat, and it works. Yep. That's the crazy thing. They get to the other end. <laughs> they connect all those fibers up, and it works. Yeah, and you know, and all of a it's sudden, a miracle. You know, yeah, it's things are, and things are so interconnected. If something happened and the Pacific Cable got cut, that traffic would be rerouted near instantaneously across the Atlantic and through Europe and Asia. And you, you know, you might not even lose the connection. You might just miss a word or two that somebody said <laughs> right. in China that you were talking to. Um, and like I say, this is part of the cable process that, and, I'd mentioned it earlier in the show. The reason I knew that seven minutes is because I read up on it when I read up on the commercial Pacific cable company. Um, it went and then from Honolulu, it went to Midway and then Midway to Guam and then Guam to the Philippines. And then to, uh, I think it was either Japan or China. They laid a couple of different routes, but whenever, and it was, um, I believe it was either three or four years later when Franklin, um, when they sent a telegraph around the world, it took over seven minutes to get back to Washington, D.C. So, 
and, and that was probably cool. that was probably relays stations. Some guy listening at one thing and tapping it into another because they weren't fully connected and automatic in that age yet. Right. Yeah. You know, well now it still goes through. You know, you're going through a bunch of different routers everywhere, right. and it's just now that's automatically, but they're still relayed. Um, and and yeah, we would think seven seconds. We would think, golly, we lost the connection uh, if it took seven <laughs> seconds to get back to us. I I had a friend who worked. Uh, this totally doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it's a funny story or interesting story. Um, a, in a small rural phone company, toward the end of their existence before they died, um, and she was a switchboard operator. I mean, a switchboard up, unplug from this jack, plug into that jack, and route the call. Wow. That's what she did. And this was in the modern age. This was the late 70s, but it was, you know, it was a rural um, area. It was a place that, you know, time forgot, uh, and they hadn't modernized yet. And when they finally modernized and literally put her out of a job, they let her keep the machine. So in her living room is this piece of history, this switchboard with with all the the jacks and cables and anything and it's just so fascinating to think this is how it was done for so long you had jack e7 and jack j9 and you ran a jumper like a guitar cable between them and that's how you quote unquote made the connection wow you know uh our next history section i might tell you i might explain the story of why there even was a switch box invented it's a really neat story um it's kind of cool. I might, we might share that next week just because it's a pointless thing that people and people will, you'll, your mind will be blown when I tell you the story next week. So tune in next and, week to find out and, why the switchboard was invented. And it makes a good holiday episode. There you go. Could, would that be enough for a whole show, Seth? That sounds pretty fascinating, actually. Uh, that for just that story wouldn't, but you know, if we wanted to kind of make a history, of interconnection you know a history of communication and just in the course of a couple of vignettes we might can make a story out of that we specialize in turning small stories into two-hour shows we can do it uh, <laughs> i don't this- know that i mean it's it's a great story but i don't know if it's uh well so, we, we, for 20 yeah we can make 20 minutes out of it because we got news and everything okay. else so okay. yeah we so, can that can be the whole show next week okay so not next week the 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 first the show that's going to come out on January first instead of doing a, le- a look back a retrospective on 2013 as so many shows do we're going to do a retrospective on the history of communications this we're going to go way back that'll be fun I'll do some research you do some research um, that sounds that sounds super geeky fun to me cool and yeah that's and and you know let's do it in vignettes and personal stories kind of stuff too sure. Sweet. Yeah, I'll awesome. I'll pretend to be Ada Lovelace and uh and, and we'll I'll do a little <laughs> I'll be monologue. Charles Babbage. <laughs> and Chris can be um Pascal, Blaze Pascal. It'll be awesome. Uh okay. <laughs> let's let's move on to uh, Seth has already blown our mind once. Do it again, Seth. Do it again, please. What's our link this week? Okay, well, since we are approaching the Christmas season, uh, and it's a season of giving, um, 
I want to talk to you about reglue.org. They are a place, and Mark, you, you did, when on the tight wide tech, you did people, I think, out in Denver who did a similar uh-huh. thing, but they actually repurpose old technology, um, old computers. They load Linux up on it and give it to, uh, in Central Texas, um, those who, um, are financially strapped. So the, they're a little different. They reached out to Microsoft originally for licensing and Microsoft said, we'll cut you a deal and just charge you 50 bucks a license. And so they said, uh, thanks for the offer. And they decided to put Linux on these machines and give them to people who, um, you know, would not be able to afford a computer in their house eventually or any other ways. Reglue, R-E-G-L-U-E dot O-R-G. It's a very simple website. Yeah, In a ahead. classic case of having a name and then deciding the name needs to stand for something, Reglue stands for Recycled Electronics and GNU Linux Used for Education. Wow. That's as bad as Shield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't kidding. think Shield stood for that uh, in the comics. I don't remember right. what it stood for, but I don't think it was that. Um yeah. So, you know, you go there, there's a donate button via PayPal, other ways you can help, you can contact them, you can sponsor them. Uh, they even have classes they do. I'm thinking our guys, you know, our community, you might could even do how to simple how to videos and give it to them and they might could put something together for people learning how to yeah. how to do basic things in Linux, you know? We could try to give to them and expand what they're able to offer. Yeah, how about every desktop comes preloaded with the entire catalog of everyday Linux? That uh, that'll make kids insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, then, but yeah. Then, anyway. would, then it would have to be called unglued. <laughs> yeah. No, because they would have to re put them back together and right. reglue their minds. <laughs> So, yeah, I just thought, you know, I would take a break from my um, insanity and very random stuff and bacons and superheroes and actually talk about something that can make a difference in somebody's life. So there you go. And we want you to make a difference in our life. And one way that you can do that is by feeding back, talking to us, letting us know how we're doing, what we're doing well, what we're doing badly, what we you'd like to see us do in the future. You can do all of those things and more over at elementopi.com. Use the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Use the Leave Us a Voicemail widget, and you can actually be on the show in your own voice. Um, send us an email, email at edl. That is so hard to say. Email at edl uh, at elementopi.com, and that will send us an email. All those things work. Uh, also, if you're so inclined, there's the tip jar there. And don't forget the Amazon link. If you're doing any last-minute electronic shopping this holiday season, uh, just go to elementopi.com slash Amazon. Doesn't cost you a penny more. Uh, gives us a little bit of of feedback love there. Let's, uh, Amazon kicks us you know, like 1% just, to, just for uh, mentioning their name so often. And I just something cool happened uh, this, I forgot to mention, maybe two, three weeks ago. Somebody actually bought some Element Opie swag from our Zazzle store. It's a, the very if you go to the web page, nobody ever looks at it because I put it in the worst place possible. It's on the left hand pane, all the way at the bottom of the page. There's a link to our store. Somebody actually bought something. I made four cents. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I've often wow. I've often said I don't make any money off of the off of the sales. I'm not kidding. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but they bought like three items and I made four cents. But 
That means that somebody out there chose to put our logo on their chest or on their head or wherever else, and that that's awesome. Do that. That's wonderful. Uh, everywhere you go, somebody will say, what is that? And you can tell them about this awesome show and all the other awesome shows we used to have. But you can tell them yeah. about this show, by golly. And we, that's how you can help us more than anything else is tell people about the show. Go to iTunes, rate us, and review us. Uh, that's always appreciated. And, you know, if you're a Stitcher user or a, um, any other of the millions of them I can't think of off the top of my head, whatever system you like to use, give us a rating and review, and that would be awesome. And then tell other people about it. And most of all, join us here each week. And so we'll see you next week because that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.